Hey guys, welcome to the Bagden Boardcast Nut episode 526. I'm Paul. And I'm Chris. And this is a Nut episode, so I'm introducing it. Uh, Nut episodes happen when one of our co-hosts cannot make it to record a show during the week. And we still want to talk because we're friends and we like talking to each other. And we hope that you think we're your friends too and you like listening to us talking at you. Uh, just talking at you like best friends always do. Yeah. Uh, and if, if you couldn't tell, John's the one that's not here. Uh, John's wife just had their uh, second child the other day, so he's taking this week off uh, to get the baby on a schedule, he said. But then he did send us a picture of him just drinking in the backyard, so I don't know. We might have to talk at him about that. We should talk at him. And what's great about when you're being talked at by a friend is, especially if it's on a podcast, you already got your phone out. You had to download it somehow. You already got your phone out. Right, you got it. So you can be uh, doing cool stuff like looking up beer reviews. Wait, yeah. we bring you a beer review. Uh, sometimes multiple, like me tonight, because I bought a lot of beer at the beer store. Because I was like, even if we don't talk about all of them, I will still drink them all when I'm playing games after we finish up. So it's an investment. But Paul, you're actually drinking tonight. Yes, I'm uh, drinking uh, right right now. I'm drinking from Two Loads, Two Roads Brewery. Two Loads. They're little, yeah, Two Roads. And this is a little board juicy. After dark. What? That's bagged and bored after dark. Oh, yeah, and but I don't I don't get why it would be an after dark. You know, the load, the load on the line, electrical. It's, it all makes sense because it's too juicy. Um, but. This is 6.2% alcohol by volume, by volume, but which is a little less than their normal hazy IPA, but still packs a lot of flavor. 6.2, I think, is still a higher ABV, or it's not. They're saying it's a little juicy, but it's still like a standard IPA, um, hazy IPA alcohol. I think it's really good. Uh, comes in a six-pack Tallboy package with a with their regular too juicy and then their mega juicy. So get get the variety. And I think it's worth the time. I think I've had it on the show before. Um, I believe but I so. Still like but, it. Yeah. I've had some Chris. two road stuff, not a lot, because that's not something that we can get down here. I think everything I've had has just been given to me or sent to me from John. Chris, what are you drinking? Uh my first and all six of my beers, we won't be drinking six of them tonight, don't worry, um, are all from Flying Monkeys Craft Brewery. And they are actually located in Barrie, Ontario, Canada. Uh, Canada. Oh, my gosh. Canada. Can't talk. This is what happens when John's not here. Uh, this is a Imperial IPA, uh, 8.3% ABV, and this is their Frosty the Friendship Dragon, and they call this a whipped frosting double IPA. Uh, it is brewed with a bunch of hops, Idaho 7, Motika, Amarillo, Citra, and Yukonat, but then uh, it's also dry hopped with Amarillo, Motika, and Yukonat, but then it's also brewed with vanilla beans and lemon puree. Um, you definitely get that lemon tart on the back. Um, I think the vanilla adds a nice, like, sweetness that kind of distracts from that hop bitter and that dry hopping mm-hmm. and that lemon. Um, if I had to compare it to something, it's almost like um, that Lemonheads candy. Okay. It's 
But like that fake lemon taste, but I mean, they mm-hmm. said they brewed with lemon puree. I don't have any reason to doubt the fine folks at Flying Monkeys, but it, it reminds me of a lemon head, just like that mm. sweet nose from the vanilla. It's not bad. Um, this bodes well for the rest of the night. I, this is probably the beer I picked up that I was least excited for. Um, they had a bunch of stuff from them on the shelf, so I basically just like a craft your own six pack, uh, one of each. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to everything else that I wind up having tonight, whether on the show or not. It says it's a whipped frosting, and yet you describe just like lemonhead. So where's the frosting flavor um, coming? The in? frosting I think is from the vanilla. Okay. I think that's what they're kind of like banking on. If I saw that on the label, I would have been like, nope, not for me. That frost, like all of a sudden, like birthday cake is basically frosting, right? Like when you see that as a flavor on something, oh, it's birthday cake flavored. It just means frosting flavored. And I don't think I like it. Um, Like I like Funfetti like cupcakes, though, or Funfetti cake. That's fine. But give me frosting flavored things. Even the uh, birthday cake Oreos, not a big fan of. Yeah, those ones aren't great. I besides the uh, refrigerator right now, but and I'm eating them, but I still don't. I'm not like (laughs) they're not my favorite. (laughs) They're not my favorite Oreo either, but they're I think they're better than some of the other random Oreos that I've had. But speaking about random other things to talk about, uh, Paul, we're not doing a full-on news segment, but I think it is apropos that we do still talk about the summer movie blockbuster bracketbuster because oh, yeah, yeah. we are moving at a clip. We have a movie coming out every single week for this uh, year's version of the bracket. Uh, and last week we had Spider-Man uh, Across the Spider-Verse come out and opened with $120.5 million. Uh, Paul, have you had a chance to see this yet? Is this something that you're no. going to see? Okay. Probably. Yeah, I, I had a hard enough time with the the look of it with it not being three a 3d movie but kind of like with that vibe uh kind of thing where i don't know how i would react to seeing it on the big screen i i think it might be off-putting like seeing it on my tv like i had to get used to the look of it and i'm a so i'm thinking i'm just gonna wait till it's uh, uh i can watch it at home it's funny you bring that up because i did get a chance to go see this in the theaters opening weekend and nice. at first jump into it, it did have a little bit of that disorientingness to it because it's an animated mm-hmm. movie, but they still put stuff out of focus, which was a bit jarring in the first movie, but I got acclimated to it a lot faster in Across the Spider-Verse. And I think it's because now my brain's like, okay, this is what they're doing. Like, I know what to pay attention to now. Um, we're not going right. to talk about the movie, but amazing. Mm-hmm. I am not surprised that it it did this well um i loved it it also uh, oh what was i going to say it also i heard that i'm going to talk about the movie a little bit that they actually spend time in the other spider-man's right spider-man's that's not spider-man's the other spider-man's uh worlds so you get mm-hmm. to see like when Stacy's like area. So it's not just that one style yeah. that's being uh, on the big screen, which I, I'm like, oh, maybe I could handle that a little bit more. But also, have you been hearing about this where movie theaters aren't playing it in the correct audio? Um, 
I heard complaints about the audio mixing. I didn't have yeah. an issue with it, so I don't know. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently my, my uh, the directors and everybody came out and like in the studio came out to t- like tell the exhibitors, hey, uh, you got to set set it to all to the full seven. <laughs> apparently the audio mix can be set, you know, on a gauge or a dial. And uh, most movie theaters play their movies at 5.5, mm-hmm. not all the way up to a full seven. And apparently this movie was mixed to be at that full seven. So seven's the the upper limits of it. Is the upper limit, yeah. I don't know the gauge. This is what I heard from another podcast. Interesting. That there was this whole thing. Set it, you know, tell the people to set it to seven. Well, you know what? I like to think we're always at a solid seven. So good for us. But yeah, uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse opened with 120.5 million. And we actually have our first matchup complete because uh, Spider-Man was up against Renfield uh, for the first break, well, first round we go opening weekend, and then for the second round it's the first full week. Renfield, uh, <laughs> yeah. th- thank you for your eight million opening, but. Now we have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse up against John Wick Chapter 4. So this is the, mm-hmm. like, the first full week. Uh, Across the Spider-Verse did more opening weekend than John Wick yeah. did after its first opening week. And, Paul, you want to talk a little bit why we have it set up this way while I, I finish up my yeah. beer? The, the reason why we have the setup, uh, if you remember the original Spider-Man Across uh, the Into the Spider-Verse, it had a like a opening weekend of what 35 40 million dollars i don't have the numbers in front of me yeah i don't have them either it did not it had hardly a drop off that actually gained momentum throughout the full week and then it actually kept on gaming more and more money <clears throat> like uh, it had sm- it had a very small drop off versus other movies that we've seen uh especially this year that had a larger opening weekend and then had a severe drop off um I'm trying to think of, well, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. They had a drop off, you know, after the week, but not a not a severe one. Oh, Shazam was the one. Yeah, that had the, it, it like fell over 60 percent uh, weekend over weekend. So it, it, it helps, you know, some movies that might get some good buzz that might actually gain more money and might be a top earner. If we look throughout the whole summer, not get like completely you know, eliminated right off the bat just for a bad opening weekend. And honestly, I could see people going back to Spider-Man or word of mouth carrying this movie continuously through. Um, We all do have Spider-Man moving on past this uh, second round. Uh, John has it going up a little bit further. I have it going all the way to the end. And then so do you, Paul. So we'll see. uh, We'll see how this works out. But a fantastic movie. I'm glad I got to see it. And it's definitely one that I wouldn't mind seeing again, just to pick up on all the stuff that I didn't catch or didn't see that first watch. Yeah, uh, I heard a lot of cameos, a lot of our, like sight gags, a lot of spider people. So many uh, spider peoples. <laughs> that's hard to get it all in and across. I heard that the uh, like PlayStation 1 Spider-Man's in it somehow. Um, heard actual spider people people. Might be in it. 
so yeah, I, I think I think it's going to be a fun watch when I do get the chance to actually sit down and watch it. And I doubt that John got to sit down to watch it because you know new baby at home. Maybe maybe um, unless he's a baby pirate. <laughs> he pir- maybe he pirated it and just. Oh okay it. <laughs> yeah I didn't I know where you're going with that. Uh, something else he might be pirating. Uh, is the new Madden game that's going to be coming out. And there's reason to celebrate this one. I've never hey, actually... Hey. I've never actually played... Well, I have played Madden, but I've never gone out and bought one. Mm-hmm. Um, even like years ago when I worked at GameStop, Madden was one of the games that everybody would always complain about having to buy each year. And it's like, sir, you don't have to buy this game, but you, you're choosing to. Need the uh, but update. I, I think there's plenty of reason to buy this one if you're uh, from Buffalo, New York. Yeah, uh, Madden is Madden is finally gracing Buffalo with a cover. Uh, that's right. Josh Allen is uh, on the cover for Madden 2024, Madden 24. And this is actually the first time uh, on the deluxe cover that we get to see the fans in the stands. That's right. The Josh Allen with the Buffalo bop into the stands uh they're on the cover for the deluxe edition uh, the big rumor is that josh allen would have been on the cover for men 23 after the 13 <laughs> seconds game in kansas city played lights out did everything he could uh probably deserved it more last year but with john madden passing away last year they put you know john madden as as he should have been on the cover and then so this year they give it to josh allen i don't know i thought that um so i'm hoping that if there was a madden curse that it was this year (laughs) i feel like if buffalo was to be if there was going to be a madden cursed year it was definitely this year with the two blizzards um not going to mention the horrible things that happened uh last year in may we all know about it it was awful um there was also but the Madden cover would have been released after that happened. But anyways, um, but also Demar Hamlin, you know, having cardiac arrest and basically dying on field and having to be resuscitated, you know, all that really bad stuff. So I think the curse happened last year. So we're past the curse. We're good. Demar Hamlin actually participated fully in practice uh, as well. This uh, this during this week. So, you know, that everything. So it looks like he's going to be playing again. So that's going to be awesome. So uh, happy to see Buffalo, the Buffalo Bills finally get representation on a Madden cover. Yeah, happy something for Josh I Allen. never happy thought I would camps. ever see. And, and how cool is it on the Deluxe that you, you might be on that cover? Very like well could be on that cover. Nobody I recognize there, but I did look. <laughs> This might actually be something that I do wind up picking up uh, just to have it on the shelf because it's super cool. Yeah. I'm not going to buy it when it comes out and it's $70, but, you know, next year when Man 25 is out and I can buy it for $6.99, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, what Madden goes, like, the when it's first released, it, it sells out really well. Then week one sells out again. Does You know, it goes up in price again. And then by week three, the price starts dropping. And then the playoffs, it picks back up again. So you'll see. Uh, so if you want to pick it up as a trade and somebody trades it in, wait until week three of the season. You'll probably find it used. 
So, but hey, congratulations! And also, uh, they just had the groundbreaking for the new Highmark Stadium. Yeah, so and it's going to be called Highmark Stadium. And uh, Terry right Pugula across the street. Actually, <laughs> gave uh, remarks and actually talked a little bit about uh, the health of Kim. Also, oh, oh, man, a curse again. Uh, Kim Bagula not doing so well with a. Uh, uh, I think a stroke or, or some sort of cardiac condition as well. And uh, he, he kind of, he addressed the media and did a, you know, public talk for the first time in over a year. So. Hey, we get to do some sports talk when John's away. A little, little bit of sports talk. Um, and then we're going to move over into something Chris likes and that's collectible card games. Oh. Uh, because today just came out that the, a traded card company, Upper Deck, is actually going to be suing Ravensburger Games, the makers of the new Disney Lorcana game that's going to be coming out uh, this August, uh, due to the fact that one of their designers used to work at Upper Deck and was working on a game that they had trademarked and were going to be coming out with. Uh, oh, Buffalo... Uh, Reference again, uh, the designer, his name is actually Ryan Miller, left okay, Upper Deck uh, to come over to Ravensburger and then started to develop Lorcana. And uh, Upper Deck says that there is a staggering amount of similarities between Lorcana and another game that they were working on that he was actually developing as well. So now they're saying like, uh, this isn't just a case of spontaneous inspiration. Like you had someone that was working on our game and now the mechanics are strikingly similar to your game. Um, you know, this what was you just announced. Though? You can't trademark game mechanics. You can't trademark game mechanics, but if it's a situation where like you're working on something, leave and then like, someone else has something that's like very similar and that's where they're kind of coming into it because if he developed that while under contract with them and then took it to a competitor it might fall under some sort of like non-compete act or it's like something to do with uh their ip like i know even when i like years ago when i worked at um hot topic Mm because i was a manager there for like four or five years uh when i signed my new hire paperwork they actually had like the stipulation in the paperwork that was like, if you create something while you're here, like movie, TV show, whatever, like Hot Topic could have a claim to the rights for it because you're working for someone else. It's the same thing. Like if you're working at any other production studio, like if you make something while you did it on company time. So now, now they own it. Uh, Not a lot of details about this case yet. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with this, because uh, this is a game I'm actually very excited for as a fan of something like uh, Magic the Gathering and Disney in general. I plan on investing heavily into this game. I've already got a booster box pre-ordered at my comic book store. I have like their big gift set that's coming out pre-ordered as well, because um, I think this is a trading card game that I could get Yanni to play. Like, nice. It looks awesome. It looks easy to play, so I'm excited for it. So if anything, I doubt it's going to hold up the game, which is releasing end of August, beginning of September. Uh, I think it's just going to be probably settled out of court, if anything, with uh, Ravensburger sending them a nice check. Yeah, I don't know. I think the most they can get is the non-compete clause thing, because uh, it has been tested in court over and over again. Like The reason why you see 
so many different versions of Monopoly isn't because Monopoly is in the public domain. It's because you can't trademark game mechanics. Uh, there was a lawsuit um, uh, between two different companies, the guys that made uh, Bang the Card Game, and there was another game that came out that was basically the same game, except it was a samurai themed game, you know, samurai themed instead of an old west themed. And they threw they they had to throw out the court case because they're like, up, oh, nothing you can do. It's you can't game mechanics aren't aren't trademark. That's why everybody can you still tap in collectible card games. Everybody still just does a ninety degree rotation on their card. But but it's tap is trademark. Tapping, but that's and that's the thing because we don't know how deep into this goes because this game from Upper Deck hasn't actually been released yet, so it could be. Like what you do in Lorcan is like you tap, turn 90 degrees, or exert Exhaust. your characters. Exert. So if yeah. it's like a similar ex- exert there, like, or if they use the same um, like resource mechanics, it, it's if it's like one thing, like, okay, well, yeah, that's similar. But if it's like beat for beat, like just a different skin on the cards, I could mm-hmm. see, I could see the, uh, the reason for it. Yeah, I can see being upset by it and everything, but there's nothing you can do. You just the only thing you can trademark is the terminology that you use. That's why you you turn in 90 degrees and everybody says tap, but in the rule book it has to say something else. And that's just unfortunate. It's like one of those things like where um game design is just weird like that where it's it's weird, but it's also kind of great because everything can be so repetitive, uh, or you know, you can keep on. It's a great a game design comes out that everybody loves, and all of a sudden, everybody's like doing that kind of game. Uh, deck building was like that for a while. Uh, roll and writes have been like that for the past couple of years. Like everybody's doing a roll and write. So, um, innovative, innovative? No, that's not it. Not innovative. Um, I can't think of the word I'm trying to think of. That's, that's okay. I don't think it's going to affect the game at all. I, I, don't, I don't think so either. I think there's enough behind this game that they're going to be putting it out no matter what. They might just, if anything, have Upper Deck's name on the the box too. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I doubt uh, it. Do you have a, another beer? Are you ready to I, go I yet? I have or? to go get it, but uh, you can talk about that beer and I'll go run and get mine. Yeah, because my next one from, absolutely I can, uh, because my next one from Flying Monkeys is another IPA. This one's only 7%, so it's still a little bit higher ABV, but it's not as high as the 8.3. And this is their Crowd Surf Motel, and this is a passion fruit IPA. Uh, This one also brewed with uh, passion fruit puree, uh, contains barley and oats, and it doesn't have as much of a tropical pop as I was expecting, I think that passion fruit probably just adds a nice round sweetness to it because um, it definitely covers up that bitter quite nice. Uh, but again, this isn't an Imperial. It's not a double IPA. It's just a regular IPA, but not bad. I think I actually preferred the first one a little bit more. Uh, just the Frosty the Friendship Dragon, I think it was called. Uh, but this one's not bad. Uh, I think everything else I have from them is a sour or like a stout so very different styles coming up so i'm looking forward to having those ones as well 
And now we just have to wait for Paul to get back because I have effectively reviewed my entire beer and he has not yet returned. So we're just going to take this moment just to kind of calm things down, smooth things out a little bit. How's your day going, dear listener? Hope you're having a good one. If you're living up in the Northeast, I hope you're staying safe and staying inside to avoid all that smoke. Air difficulties, man. Am I right? Paul's back now. So, Paul, I've I've uh, reviewed my beer. You're gonna have to listen to the show to to hear my thoughts on it. Uh, but this one was another IPA, a passion fruit IPA. And spoilers, I didn't like it as much as the first one. I'm drinking an old standby, something that I like, and I keep on picking up. Um, this is Allagash White. It's a Belgian style wheat beer with uh, coriander and orange peel, and uh, I, I just think think this is really refreshing. Um, when it's crisp out in the morning, like this has become my uh, go-to disc golf beer. It's uh, 5.2%. So, you know, even keel, taking it nice and easy. Um, but mm, it's a uh, quenchy, you know, it's got the, the, it's quenchiest? Got the quench. It's not the quenchiest, but it does have a good quench. To but, it. So it'll quench you. It will, can, it will quench you. Uh, Thank God for Sokka. So good. <laughs> I need to rewatch. I'm wearing an Avatar. I saw you were wearing an Airbender shirt. <laughs> That's a gifted to me like, by Chris. Hey, it's like, who get these references? And, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I just really enjoy it. I picked it up for uh, this golf, and I figured it's in my fridge. I can drink it. We're doing a not episode. We're, we're fine. Yeah. No reason not to. Hmm. But yeah, that's cool. it's a, it's been a while since I've had a uh, Alagash White, but I can actually get it in my stores here. They have like the I think twelve packs of it. The twelve packs a good deal. I think the twelve packs actually a much better deal than the four pack Tall Boys. But when you're disc golfing, yeah, you know it's you know, it's just easier to carry two than carry four. You know, yeah. carry two Tall Boys versus carrying like three or four, uh, you know, twelve ounces. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but that'll bring us to the list. The list. Because even though John's not here, we're still looking forward to buying some comic books. And yeah. we still want to talk about comic books. And those comic books will be coming out June 14th, 2023. Chris, what are you looking forward to? Uh, I'm actually looking forward to a number 10. Uh, so I'm pulling it with this one because I'm jumping ahead. But this is actually going to be Battle Chasers number 10 coming out from Image Comics. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because, yes, this is Battle Chasers that was originally launched as part of the Wildstorm cliffhanger imprint of comics back in like 2000, 2001, whenever it was. Um, Original writer uh, and creator Joe Medwera coming back. This one being drawn by Ludo Lubali. Uh, This is number 10. It's continuing and picking up the story left off in the original Battle Chaser series, which is something that I never actually completely and fully read. It was kind of one of my, I slept on this book, but now whenever I go to a comic book convention, I'm going to try to pick up the back issues. Uh, so I had a few of them. And then when I moved down to Florida and I had purged all of my comics, uh, this was lost in in the uh, in the shuffle which i'm kind of sad about now because who would have thought you know 
20 years later, uh, we're finally getting number 10. But hey, I'm I'm jumping in on this. I'm sure someone's going to be putting out like a collection of the first nine issues so I can get right back into it. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm excited for this one. Very cool. I'm picking up a number four. So it's very close to picking <laughs> up a number 10. But this is the one that at least I read the first issue of and enjoyed. And it's clobbering time. Number four, this is a team-up book that uh, sees Ben Grimm team up with a bunch of heroes in the DCU. This one's oh, so not everyone. I thought it was just the Hulk. No, no, it's that's a different one every episode. Oh. Yeah, it's the second one was Wolverine. So that's why I was like, eh, eh, I don't really like Wolverine. But this one, number four, he's teaming up with Doctor Doom. That's right. Ooh, interesting. They, they've been uh, they've been banished to a bottomless pit of interstitial space between realities, and uh, Doctor Doom and Ben uh, Grimm must work together to get out, to escape with the help of a banished Watcher, Tuvatu. So that's cool. So you got a Watcher in there. You got Doctor Doom in there. Uh, issue three, it was Doctor Strange that uh, oh, okay. the thing was teamed up with and so is this like a continuous story or is each issue kind of like a standalone i think each one is kind of a standalone uh like i said i only read issue once but i think each team up is you know them them getting trapped in some weird thing and then you know team up to battle them up to get on out and looks like issue five is going to be the last one at least that's the last one solicited so so, nice um, little mini series. Look, yeah. look good on a shelf. Collect it as a uh, a trade paperback, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Uh, no, it looks like the villain is uh, from is carrying on between at least between four and five. So who knows? All right. No dramatic reading without Jeremy. no dramatic like no. This. I floated the idea out there, but then Paul's like, well, now we're just doing an episode. Yeah, and I'm like, at which point is it an episode and not and not episode? So I brought this to the table for our main topic, and this is summer, summer reading list. You know, back in school days, <clears throat> the teachers, I always understood it as all the English department, all the English teachers would get together in a room. And basically, like, get a list of, what, 12 books, and then the students would have to read one or two of them. And I'm like, okay, well, we could do that. We could, Chris, you and me and Chris, we could sit here and talk about a couple books that we would want to add to that summer reading list. Like, and I figured, hey, we'll add one graphic novel from Marvel, one graphic novel trade paperback. You know, I'm using that term inter- uh, interchangeably uh from dc and then one actual you know word book because you know, word I want to cross, book you say i want to cross promote our word books with friends not episodes you know so and these should you know i was thinking i took the list as being you know more classics you know something that it should like what's you would see on a summer movie list because your teachers put it on there you know maybe there would be something newer there um but, you know, this is definitely stuff that, you know, as uh, comic book fans or, you know, just nerd culture uh, fans, uh, you should probably take the time to read and uh, appreciate. 
yeah, even I if agree. it isn't the most enjoyable. It might not be. Or it might be I, really enjoyable. I, Maybe I hope you enjoy my books. Yeah. So, Chris, where do you want to start? Um, Actually, if you don't mind starting with DC Comics. I don't mind starting with DC Comics because that's probably the one that... Uh, Am I starting or are you starting? No, I, w- I was going to start. I was just yeah, start, floating the idea out there. Because um, for me, when you said summer reading list, I was thinking something that I can take out onto the porch, sit down with a beer, just like enjoy reading through. And I kind of also went like summer blockbuster feel with it too. Okay. Because uh, okay. for my first pick, I'm actually going to be going with Batman Hush. Uh, written by Jeff Loeb, art by Jim Lee. Uh, it's available as two separate volumes, or you can just get it together as like a collected like omnibus. But this 12-issue series is basically a who's who of the Batman universe. So all of your favorite heroes, sidekicks, all your hero, uh, villains, and like side characters are all popping up in it. And each issue is kind of leaving you with a little bit of a cliffhanger, because you have kind of like a Batman, almost like a Ten Little Indians, like murder mystery case going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed this. This is actually, I don't want to say what got me into Batman when I got back into comic books. But when John and I first started going back into the comic book shop every week buying comic books, I was not buying Batman until it was announced that Jim Lee coming to DC Comics, and he's going to be doing Batman. And I was like, that's a book that I need to read. Uh, and after that, I I kept on reading Batman until, you know, eventually you fall off as you are wont to do. But, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm saying Batman Hush is some fun summer reading. Yeah, it gets you all caught up with the bat, complete Bat family. And also it's um, kind of known for spoilers. Uh, the Jason Todd return fake out. Mm-hmm. And then also, uh, and then bringing like, in Hush. Uh, the couple weeks later, uh, basically Jason Todd does return. Like it's, I don't know. I forget how, do you remember how quickly that was a thing? Like um, it was much of a turnaround. It was a couple months after because in the book spoilers, uh, mm-hmm. it's revealed that it was actually Clayface. But that was also them kind of testing the waters how people would feel and react to Jason Todd coming back. So it was a couple months later, but then they they went full ahead with a character that's still around today now. And Bucky returned the same month. Yeah. It was like one of those crazy things. Like both Domino well, uh, mask-wearing um, killed sidekicks returned the same month, like so many years later. Just nuts. But what about your book? Also a 12-issue miniseries, or maxi-series, as you might want to put it. Uh, I think this book is the definite, basically takes us from the golden, you know, like uh, the Silver Age into the Modern Age. I I think this book from DC is the pinnacle (laughs) of DC Comics. And uh, it's Marvel Wolfman's and George Perez's Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh, okay. Um, huge. Like, just going through it, the writing style, I think, changes by from issue one to the final issue, where it feels, you know, like old school comics. You know, this came out in the uh, 
late late 80s and it then ushered in the the new era for dc and i think dc's been chasing this and been doing this kind of reset ever since Mm -hmm. um and this is the what started it um i know there was crisis on multiple earths and you know before that but this is the big bad boy this is the this is the big this is the multiverse uh destroying bringing all the heroes under one timeline and setting that all came from here this is uh we see the 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 fall of barry allen and then uh the rise of wally west the death of supergirl um it all happens here um and it's great i think it's it's definitely a tome that i need to go back and reread a couple times you know again it's i've i think i've read it two times now and i think i'm due for a third so that's why it's going on my summer movie or my i want to say summer movie black buster black bracket buster but i can't even say that so hey so, it happens it's a mouthful yeah you got you still got those two loads in your mouth yeah so do you want to go with your uh marvel pick yeah, next or do I'll you want to like throw my, it back to me i'll go to it the marvel pick next and uh you you know me i'm not a huge spider-man fan so but marvel but marvel is spider-man and spider-man you know is marvel it's it's he is the linchpin if superman is dc spider-man is marvel right like um and i think jeff Loeb and tim sale their work over at dc long halloween um what was the other one uh victory 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 um great work over at uh, on batman and he kind of brought that over to marvel with uh daredevil yellow um captain america red white and blue was it red white and blue or something i forget what something like that captain yeah. america. or it was captain america white and it was just a little awkward because i think it happened the year after captain america truth came out weird um but i think he nailed it with uh they nailed it with Spider-Man Blue. Uh, this is basically telling a story, like basically right out of the, the 60s, uh, with Spider-Man first meeting both Gwen Stacy and Mary J. Watson, and uh, them kind of hanging out. Him being a l- lovable loser that doesn't understand that both girls like him, and him ba- balancing. Uh, having to fight all the villains and he goes through uh it, it starts with him fighting green goblin and um ends up putting green goblin norman osborne in the hospital and then fighting the rest of his rogues gallery up uh including the vulture and him never like every time he's like hanging out having fun he can't catch a break he has to go out and be spider-man and uh it's then wraps up uh, you notice that Spider-Man's been doing this monologue, and it's basically because he's recording his thoughts, remember, you know, remembering Gwen. Um, and he's just, you know, it's it's years later, and he's actually just like recording himself, like uh, just remembering this times. And uh, Mary Jane walks in and is like, "Hey, Peter, tell Gwen I miss her too," 
because you know they were all friends and you get to see like flash thompson um not norman osborne harry osborne harry, <laughs> harry yeah and mary jane and gwen all being friends at the soda shop it, it's great it um it has a little bit of archie vibes to it uh which is maybe why i'm uh, why i enjoy it and enjoyed reading it again or at least parts of it again today um just as a refresher and yeah i think it's solid i think it's uh it's a quintessential spider-man book it shows him being that kind of thick skulled idiot not understanding that two girls like him him chasing a girl can't make the time to actually chase a girl worried about uh aunt may at home no it's all there it's a classic villains craven the hunter shows up it's great hmm. but he kidnaps harry because harry was wor- stole peter's cologne so that's why oh follow <laughs> your nose harry. yep uh you know that it's it's that kind of like 1960s like oh shucks kind of like foiling the villain that i enjoy though like oh it, you know it was planted in an issue be- before Hey Peter, I'm gonna bar- take this clone's great. I'm gonna use it. Is that okay? Oh yeah, go ahead. Here I have it. And then the next issue, Craven the Hunter shows up and like is trying to find Spider-Man. And then, oh, this smells like Spider-Man. And then kidnaps Harry. It's, you know. What if like this that. is a plot to the Craven movie? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't put did it past him. Oh, did he see that? Uh, talking about the. The Spider-Man expanded universe over at Sony Pictures. Sony Pictures presents the Spider-Man cinematic universe or whatever it's called. I'm pretty sure all of those words are in that that yeah. title somewhere. The Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters. Smunk. Anyways, uh, Jared Leto apparently was climbing a building. Oh, I just see. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? happening why just because not for a movie everybody that's what your third first thought was is like oh they're doing a sequel no he was just climbing a building sure sure it wasn't morbid time it might, mean, been a, it might have been morbid time he's living the morbid times um but actually my marvel book showcases some of the scenes that you had actually just talked about because i'm gonna be uh bringing another miniseries, this one being written by Kurt Busiek with art by Alex Ross. And this is Marvels from 1994. And this is kind of the greatest hits of the Marvel comic book universe, uh, told from a street-level photojournalist, Phil Sheldon, who's basically capturing the birth of the Marvel universe right from the very beginning. Uh, So this goes from, like, 1940 to 1974, um, and there's something very just nostalgic about this, I mean, at that time, modern retelling of the Marvel Universe. Um, I think this is right up there with Kingdom Come. I mean, both by Alex Ross, but they're both kind of respective of their universes. Like, this is a story that you need to read to kind of get the best of Marvel or the best of DC. Um a couple of years ago, Yanni and I actually went to like a local, it wasn't a comic book convention, but it was like a comic book swap meet almost. Mm-hmm. And she bought a Marvel's postcard book. Oh. And I was like, oh, you like the book Marvel's? And she's like, 
oh, it's a book. I I just like the artwork because she she was an art major, mm-hmm. so she has like an appreciation for art. And like she saw that and she's like, oh, it's like Norman Rockwell comic book art. Like it's Marvels. Like it's classic takes on the Marvel heroes. It's like no, this was actually a comic book. Like it's beautiful. Um, and I definitely think it's something that everybody should read because it's such a fresh take on the Marvel universe, but it's not done with that kind of Brian Michael Bendis early 2000s cynicism that something like Ultimates had. Mm -hmm. It gets much more like reverence and things matter in it. Like, yeah. You talking about that makes me, oh yeah, DC New Frontiers. Maybe that should have been my pick instead (laughs) of Crisis on Infinite Uh, Earths. Crisis is a good one though. New Frontiers came out 2004. So it might have started in 2003. We're, we're, that was, yeah, that was a long time. coming book. up on, because it was six issue uh, prestige book. I forget how many pages were in each one. Uh, I feel like they were issues. I don't know if it just felt like it because those it was books double. were a meal. Like Darwin Cook did so much in them that they could have been super long or they could have been it's really short. But like right, each right page. Right here, it's 60, 64 pages <laughs> each. Okay, yeah, each yeah issue I, I, I buy it. And uh, it was great. Uh, yeah, coming up on the 20th anniversary of that soon. So, uh, well, I know it would. Yeah, because uh, issue six came out on September 29th, 2004. So March of 2024 will be the 20th anniversary if it came out. You know, uh, monthly. I'm going to add it to the show notes, but I feel like that's something that I wouldn't mind doing like a anniversary retrospective on like. I don't own that book. I've never owned it, but I would definitely pick it up to have it on my shelf I'm, to talk about. It. I think I'm don't my, you don't you still have them? No, I thought you had it like in multiple formats. I pretty much did, and I I'm gonna have to check my shelf again, but I might have to buy it in another format again <laughs> because that book so good. Well, Paul, so if that's, you wanna, a, that's a bonus pick. That's Paul, bonus I was gonna pick. say. If you want to talk about your bonus pick, I'm going to get up and get my next beer. So you have time to to wax on yeah, New Frontiers uh, if you want. Okay, yeah, I'll talk about New Frontiers. This is my bonus pick. Uh, yeah, at DC Comics, Darwin Cook, Dave Stewart, uh, right? Daniel Stewart. Uh, I'm forgetting who did uh, the, also worked on it. Uh, and this was just prestige issues that were coming out. Like we said, 64 pages. Uh, I don't think there was any ads in them. I remember them being pretty expensive, but worth it. Um, huge. And it goes through the entire, it goes through pre-superheroes uh, of the DC Universe, starting off with the Challenger of Sergeant Rock, um, and then going all the way through to the forming of the Justice League. So you get the complete pre, you know, the pulp era of DC Comics, up to the Silver Age. Um, you get to see Martian Manhunter come to Earth the first time. The Basically the origins of all the superheroes, uh, the Flash included, and then them coming together to defeat um, this living organism that's an island. Uh, and then the very last page is the couple the last few pages is the justice league coming together and all with the word balloons of the new frontier speech from john f kennedy which is a great speech every time that i'm feeling down about you know uh the united states and where we are 
I, I like to uh, reread that speech or listen to that New Frontier speech again, you know, because it, it it reminds us that, you know, we should come together and strive to achieve greater things. You know, we and we we as a people can do that. And it's kind of, you know, the whole superhero thing of we're stronger together. So that's DC New Frontier. <laughs> nice. It's a fantastic book, and it's and been so long since amazing. I've, I've read it. So like, good. I would gladly go back, and I don't think I ever watched the animated. I had the I had the animated one. It was okay. It was it was condensed. You, you lo- I thought you lost a lot in it. Hmm. Uh, word book with friend, or do you want to be yes. beer? Yes. Go ahead. Um, beer, beer. I need to. So when I first cracked it, it did. Um, foam up a lot so i had a lot of uh foamy head on this one so my first sip was mostly just air mm. Mm. okay going back into it uh the next one oh maybe that's why it's so foamy because this is flying monkey's velvet bubble lord mm. and this is a blueberry sour six percent abv um there were other cans that i pulled out the next can I pulled out was an Imperial Stout at 10%. I didn't realize the other one I grabbed was also a triple IPA at 11%. So I was like, no, not drinking that one. Uh, so a nice 6% sour. I can sit with that. And this does have a nice tart blueberry to it. Uh, the can art for this one is very like yellow submarine kind of psychedelic bubbly flowery artwork and that's kind of what this beer tastes like um it's not something i could drink more than this can of but i do enjoy it just it's almost like it is a sour but it's almost like um like a seltzer like it has that kind of just light crisp bubbliness to it that if you told me it was just like a blueberry like hard seltzer, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that that tracks because it's very light, very refreshing. Maybe maybe okay. great for disc golfing. Ooh, and with a blueberry, I think I would like that. So, but did uh, you have something else you were drinking? No, nah, no, nah, I'm too tall boy cans. I'm good, you know. I'm still, you're, I'm still you're in a good spot. This is a not episode. We don't. There's no heroes here. It <laughs> uh, looks like I can get the trade paperback for twenty three dollars and 90 cents on amazon but i'm trying to figure out if that's actually the complete you know all six issues or if it's like volume one i would and assume amazon it's is probably not a, being a complete helpful. i feel like it would have to be a complete version this is a printing from 2019 under the black label oh so dc black label yeah that's how you know it's pretty fresh yep, yep. but paul what uh, about your your word book what is your assigned word, summer reading for that? My assigned summer reading is a um, science fiction um, work that I, I think a lot of uh, us, us people in the nerd culture has have overlooked. And I'm taking that as a very small sample size when I've talked to people uh, about uh, the mule and Jar Jar Banks and, you know, my, my theories about that and the theories of the anyways. Um a newer, or maybe came out last year or two years ago on Apple TV Plus. There's been a, a 
TV series that has been produced uh, inspired by this this work by Isaac as Isaac Asimov. Um, but I think it's important to go back to the actual uh, roots or the foundation and and read the foundation series. Um, this is a originally published as short stories inside of uh, magazines uh, and then collected as novels. Oh, uh, like a Reader's Digest. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, buying a magazine to get, like, the next part of a story? That's wild. I can't even imagine. Happened back in the... Between 1942 and 1950, that's what happened with this series. Publishing's crazy, man. Like, just how far it's come. Uh, This... Isaac Asimov said that he came up with this idea after reading uh, Edward Gibbon's History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. And this deals with the fall of a galactic empire in the Milky Way. And uh, one guy, Harry Selden, who discovers that, hey, he can use the principles of math and and sociology and uh, create a new form formulas uh, to basically outline uh, what will happen in the future. And he sees that the fall of the empire is happening and it's too late to save it. But he also sees that, hey, uh, we're, it's going to be plunged. We're going to be plunged into uh, a dark age for like 3000 years or 30,000 no, 30, years before a new empire will come up and bring stability to to the galaxy once again. And he did. He comes up with this mathematic, with these mathematical formulas to nudge. So, you know, at certain inflection points in order to nudge civilization to knock down that time frame from 30,000 years down to just 1,000 years. Hey, saves us 29,000 years of suffering to then create the second, you know, new second empire. Um, and this is the story. This takes place over hundreds of years, this story. And it's I think it's interesting. I like it. I remember reading it as a kid. And enjoying it. And it's something that I kind of want to go back to because I've talked about it a lot, especially with uh, with people being like, oh, yeah, Darth Jar Jar Binks. And I'm like, I could see that because basically a similar thing happens in this foundation series. Hmm. I don't think I've ever heard of this. I think it's a lot of people talk about Isaac Asimov and he talks about the iRobot series. Uh, which books and then later on in the 80s. Um, Isaac Asimov basically does the foundation Earth and basically combines all his works into one, you, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's actually happened. And that was, you know, what happened before the first time, you know, I never read that kind of stuff. I only read the first three, the original three books, Foundation, Foundation and the Empire and Second Foundation. I don't want to give too much away. I think it's inter- I think it's a good book series. Uh, they're quick reads. At least I remember them being quick reads. I remember reading them while I was on a train uh, for family vacation. So I'm sure they probably were like, if not like bite sized, like mm-hmm. probably easily condensed just because they were done in a magazine. So it's probably meant to be like compartmentalized storytelling almost. Yeah, so I would suggest reading Foundation, Foundation, and the you know, the first one, because there is a pre, because later on he does do Prelude to Foundation, and another one, and then like Future Foundation, you know, 
not Future Foundation, but that's why Jonathan Hickman calls the. Ah. Yeah, it's all that. Interesting. Because even in the Jonathan Hickman run, he basically has um, uh, Reed Richards act a little bit like Harry Seldon, who comes up with the formula. Hmm. And uh, the Temple, of, or the. Yeah, the foundation of reeds and all that and all that. So there's there's a lot there. People mine this. The writers mine this series for ideas. And I think it's important for people to actually see where these ideas come from. So. Chris, what's your yes. word book? Uh, my word book is one of my favorite books, and it's a word book that I've gone back to multiple times and I just love it. So much, and every time I do get back into it, because I take sabbaticals from reading, and then as soon as I pick it back up again, I'm like, oh, yes, this is why I enjoy it. Uh, this is going to be Good Omens, the nice and mm-hmm. accurate prophecies of Agnes Nutter, which uh, this is written by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. And this is a fun, rollicking romp into the apocalypse. Um, oh. And like... For a true summer reading experience, if you don't want to read the book, you can watch the show on Amazon, which uh, they were either about to or they were beginning to film season two. But I believe that might have been halted due to the writer's strike. Uh, Completely okay. Uh, I love this book. It's so much fun. Uh, even if you've watched the show, which I haven't yet, it's on my list of things to watch, but we're not talking about that this episode. Um, I want to watch it just based off of how much fun this book actually is. And from an interview with Neil Gaiman where he was actually asked, like, hey, like, how did you and Terry write this together? Because I doubt <laughs> you were sitting at a typewriter together. And it was basically a case of they would just send each other chapters or pages and then the other one would read it and be like, Oh, this is funny. Let me add to it. And then they would just put something in there and then send it back and then be like, okay, that's, that's what the book's going to be. It's a book that uses footnotes incredibly well at one part. And one of the chapters, there's a page that's just all footnotes from the previous page. And it's, like that kind of humor that I don't know how they could do in the TV show besides having it maybe be some sort of narration over, but I don't know how that would work compared to actually like reading it on the page where you're like, Oh, let me read this footnote. Okay. This footnotes this entire page. This footnotes the rest of the page. Okay. Let me flip it over for like this third footnote. Um, Absolutely fantastic. It's, it's a well-loved, well-read dog-eared copy that I have. And now I'm thinking maybe it's something I need to buy digitally because I know I'll continuously go back to it. Could you do the footnotes in the television show as director's commentary? I think you could. You would do one whole episode. Like for that joke, you would do the episode. And then the very next episode, all of a sudden you're watching that same episode. It would still be continuing on. God would be doing the, like the commentary on it or something, you know, because he wanted to keep it in universe, so it isn't like a director who's recording, you know, but some omniscient. So I'm guessing God or the devil. I haven't seen it. Um, but they would do the narration or the commentary. 
Paul, I highly recommend reading it. I think you would I, really I enjoy would. it, actually. Um, I'm on Amazon right now. It's free with uh, as an audiobook with your Audible trial. Yeah. Or if you want to buy a paperback cover of it, uh, you can buy them used for $2 or new for 6 <laughs> It's definitely something that's been in publication since it came out, and it it deserves to be because this is a fantastic book. And I'm glad the Amazon show was done and Neil Gaiman works as like an executive producer on it to make it be what it needs to be. And people responded to it. And, hey, it's getting a season two. That's fantastic. Awesome. Well, if, there were, if the uh, Screen Actors Guild and the, uh, what is it, the American Motion Picture studio yeah, yeah, I, think I think the director's guild and like yeah. is the next one they have the director's guild has settled so they aren't going to go on strike but the screen actors guild is next up um but the directors don't have the same concern as writers because you know it's not like you can plug in a bunch of stuff from a director and then have the AI direct a movie. You kind of need a person on site until they get, you know, I guess now with the announcement like of the, the Amazon, well, also the, like the, uh, the AI, like if you just look like AI, um, like any movie yeah. book or whatever, like Wes Anderson, like that's uh-huh. a thing that AI is just doing now. So it, it definitely hits some of the hallmarks, but, Again, it's just like clips. It's not like full-on movie mm-hmm. dialogue, like anything like that. But, I mean, it's it's a learning machine, so who knows? Like, someday it could. Yeah. And, you know, and now that you have Apple's uh, ski goggles, you could just have a uh, intern or page there being like, and just having the AI, like, tell it how to direct the movie, I yeah. guess. But they, they don't have those kind of concerns yet. So, unlike the Writers Guild, which makes complete sense like hey studio i don't want you taking all the scripts that i ever wrote plugging it into an ai then you've then having that ai spit out a crappy uh script and then you paying me half of what i would normally make to fix that script (laughs) and the studio's like we were totally never going to absolutely guess we were going to do that but come on we still totally want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I, Paul, that's what I understand is a strike. That's, that's all I understand. I, but Paul, not, what's something that you want to read written by oh, a human being? Written by a human being is something that I'm surprised I still have not read. And that's the amazing adventures of Cavular, <gasps> Cavular you, and Clay. I have actually read that. I, yeah. Written by uh, Michael Chabon, and uh, this is basically a retelling of like the early, you know, post-war comic book or pre-war slash post-war comic book industry here in America, how it came to be uh, with this, you know, fictionalized uh, hero called the Escapist. Back in the day, I did read the Brian K. Vaughn written the Escapist comic. Which I really is based off of too. the Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, 
So it's very meta because, you know, it's that kind of the book was basically, you know, blah, blah, blah. But uh, yeah, it this like, is it was a comic book based off of a fictionalized book written about a fictionalized comic book. But then they were also relaunching an updated take on The Escapist. Yeah. Today. It was, mm-hmm. it was pretty good. Good. Um, but yeah. This is, um, it basically starts in 1939 uh, with um, Joe Cavalier um, running into his cousin, uh, Sammy Clay, and then creating this character, uh, the escapist. Um, And yeah, and then getting into the comic book industry and then going to war. So it's a lot of post-war Americana wrapped up in the comic book industry i heard there's like if you pay enough attention to the names you used you can kind of like oh this is definitely an allegory to the big names of the time you know yeah. stan this is the stan lee animal. like, like your kirby's a, like yeah really this is, is the kirby's <laughs> yeah animal. it's uh, it's so, not so subtly hidden in there like if you have any awareness of like the <laughs> the golden age or silver age of comic books like it's there, but it's so good. It's yeah, wow. I read this years ago because I read that it was a book that's like, oh, if you're a comic book man, here's word books that you like. And I was like, yes, yeah, I this do came like. Came out in two, yeah, the year 2000, so it's been so you know, it, so it is still modern. It's not like something like I suggested before with uh, the Foundation series. The Foundation book, though, the first one is like 255 pages. This year oh, is yeah. Uh, uh, 639 pages so but i think it's well worth the read so chris what uh what are you what what should you be reading this summer uh it's something that i've already started reading and i just need to continue and finish because it's right over here next to me oh he's going to go grab it he's going to get He's leaning out of frame, picking it up, coming back, putting on my headphones, because yep. this is Star Wars: The High Republic, oh. The Rising Storm by Kevin Scott. Uh, I actually started reading this on the plane to and from Buffalo uh, when Yanni and I came up in April, and I'm trying to see where I left off because I think I'm about a third of the way through it, and I'm really loving how it's almost like a more personalized ramped up story than what we had in light of the Jedi, which was already like a very tension filled ramped up character driven story. Um, You had spaceships like mass climbing into planets and like the force and zip lines being used to save things. So how could they ramp up more than that, Chris? Somehow now in the aftermath with like the Republic and the Jedi just trying to play it like, no, everything's okay. Who who are the Nile? Like they're gone. We beat them. But then like every third chapter, it's them being like, no, we want them to think we're gone. We're coming back. Like, (laughs) Oh, you, you made a power play and you took this system. Well, now you've shown that we were still a force. Like there's games and games in this book. And mm-hmm. yes, it's kind of cheating to pick a book that I'm already reading, but I definitely need to get the rest of the way through this because I'm already seeing bits and pieces in this book 
that have bled into the comics that we've read, like the Martian Row. Uh, I don't remember the name of that, like the miniseries. The like, Eye of the Storm. Eye of the Storm. Like, okay, well, this is where he gets that lightsaber. Like, okay, like now I'm seeing the thread that's woven in between all this and reading stuff out of order hasn't necessarily hurt it. But now that I'm picking up those pieces that I miss, I'm like, oh, wow, like this is a much bigger story than than I knew it was being sold as. But like now that I'm into it, I'm like, oh, wow. It's especially like I got to get on to reading it as well, Um, because, you know, phase two jumps back in time. And now phase three is promising that it'll come back to this, you know, and continue on the story with uh, Mark Chen Rowe in the Nile. Um, so I kind of want to get caught up. But I have the thing with travel books. Maybe you have it, too, where I'm like, oh, I marked off this time while I'm traveling to read this book. If I don't finish it, that book is dead to me. It's um, like that it's was like, oh, right. The no lie. I, that's. Uh, that's how I started reading Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. Literally, it's in the backseat of my car now because it's in the bag of stuff that we were going to donate to Goodwill. The copy of Game of Thrones that I have has, like, the sticker on the front that says, like, soon to be a show from yeah. HBO. Like, it's, it's like I bought it because I was like, oh, like, I want to see, you know, what this is all about. And that was my book that lives perpetually in my carry-on backpack and anytime I was going somewhere that would be the book that I would pull out but then there was such a big break in me going anywhere that the next time I flew somewhere I was like I who's Daenerys like I don't remember any of this anymore so I just kind of abandoned it um and I never (laughs) went back but I feel like now I'm a little bit more ready to sit down and read stuff than I was back then, because back then I was also buying a lot more comic books. Right. Right. I think ah. That's a lot of reading for us to do. I got good that's omens a- to read. I got uh, the adventures of Cavalier and clay. I got the uh, rising storm. I got a, I gotta reread Crisis on Infinite Earths, and I gotta reread uh, New Frontier. Like, woo! Also, don't forget you need to uh, sit down and read Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets for when uh, we eventually get back to word books with friends. I, that's also true, and I then with that I have to read it and take notes at the same time, which is you know a different, a completely different task than reading a book. Like reading, you can be like. Did I read that last? You know, you can kind of like as you're reading, like, did I miss that paragraph? You can like zone out. I actually read it, zone out, and you're like, it's fine. But when you're taking notes for a podcast, you gotta you gotta reread that paragraph. You don't want to just get the gist. You want to get the full load of what they were telling you about. And we'll check the notes on the posts for this episode when we post it on all of our social media pages so make sure you're listening subscribing following liking smashing the bell for notifications <laughs> for everything you do yeah email us at uh at gmail.com yeah. is there a uh, book that you want to read for summer maybe there's something we missed there's something I mean, there's a billion add. books out there we probably did 
the buy 